presence of an extraordinary person, from what I've read online. Are you aware that the first thing that comes up when you pump your name into Google is extraordinary residents of Hornsea? Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, d- I wasn't aware of that, actually. But, now, I've, but, got a question for, I've got a question for you, Johnny, actually. What do you make of... Roy Hodgson. The first thing I thought was that he was doing Elton John a favour. Then I saw that he'd played for Udinese. He'd managed Udinese, so the Pozzos had obviously got him. Ranieri was obviously ahead of Hodgson, which doesn't... Maybe it's the Italianness, But Hodgson is more or less an adopted mm. Italian. The, what I'm uh, more excited about is Ray Lou. Ray Lewington, who was ex-Watford manager, and he kind of yells at players. And one of the things that Watford yeah. haven't really had for about eight years is a yeller. Yeah, yeah. I, I, do you know when? It, I, I, although I love Claudio Ranieri, and I love what he did at Leicester. Um, he's he's not a shouter. He's he's a very genial kind of guy, and you kind of think, whoa, how does that go discipline-wise? You know, with yeah. the squad. So yeah, Hodgson. I think I think it's quite an, an astute um, signing. That I think as one of the best coaches in the world in the last fifty years, what these players need are not kind of technical guidance, because I was at the Norwich game with my brother, and there were some moments of genius. I mean, the fact that Josh King couldn't get in the game for an hour is a slight on the rest of the teammates. But if Hodgson can bring some youngsters through, that would be great, because I've just finished this book about the Youth Cup, and... Oh, right, yeah, yeah. I I don't think Bradford are mentioned, so I apologise. I don't think they've even got to the final. (laughs) Um, Delighted, Marvin Close, uh, to get you... Um, We will go through your magnificent CV, but I've had many a professional writer in here, and you are definitely a pro at writing. Oh, bless you. (laughs) It's true that the facts don't lie, to quote (laughs) Rafa Benitez. These are the facts. Um, You have written a couple of books uh, with in collaboration with people, more than just a game, Football versus Apartheid, 2009. Hope Powell, My Life in Football, one of the best memoirs that I've read, came out in 2016. I remember reading that in Rains Park Library. Uh, Oh, right. I I think it had just come in in 2016, so I remember reading it. Yeah. As soon as it came Uh, out. Not a a million miles away from where Hope lives, actually, in in Peckham. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Peckham, the other side of... uh, London, but she's in Brighton now. She's on the South yeah. Coast. Indeed, yes. Do yeah, you speak to okay her, there. or was it a professional engagement only? It started as a professional engagement. I mean, funnily enough, there was quite um, a similarity with the uh, the the I Hope You Die of Cancer book in the sense that I approached her um, quite some time ago about the idea of, of writing the book uh, through a mutual friend of ours, uh, Shelley Alexander, who used to be um, kind of in charge of women's sport at the BBC. And Shelley kind of in- introduced me to her. Initially, Hope had said, uh, oh, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> who, who wants to hear my story? You know? And um, I said, look, how about I come down to London, we meet up, and I'll tell you why people really want to hear your story. Uh, so she agreed to that. We went for a, a coffee that became three or four coffees. Um, and I was basically sort of saying, look, number one, you're the first black national manager in this country, which within itself is like, you know, really you know, landmark stuff. Um, you're the first gay manager of uh, an England side. You've overcome so much in your life to, to succeed at what you do. And eventually I, I got to persuade her to do it. I, I think 
think the experience of persuading her to do it helped me with the I Hope You Die of Cancer book because the guy who um, I spent, oh gosh, nearly 100 hours interviewing uh, is, is a non-league footballer, much of which the, the basis of the book is about. And he initially said, no way, don't want to know, don't want to know. Um, he, he's a mutual friend and uh, I'd only met him a couple of times and he told me a load of stories and anecdotes about what life was really like in non-league football and I said well look from a writer's point of view I haven't read this before Correct. you know it's yeah. all you know, it's, it's all new to me is this. Um, you know, why don't we collaborate on a book? And so he was not interested. And I, and I kept thinking about this and thinking about it. And, and I went back to him and I said, look, have you read the Secret Footballer books? And he said, I, I'm, I'm aware of them, yeah. And I said, well, why don't we do a similar thing to that and you can keep your anonymity? Because what he was worried about was he, he's still playing in non-league and he wants to coach in non-league as well and as he made it very clear to me it's a very small world in non-league football and it's very easy for you to uh, block your copybook um, and particularly if you're thinking about going into coaching it doesn't look so brilliant if you've got this opinionated book out you know um so he said okay so if we keep it on a, an anonymous level then then I'll, I'll work with you on it it is a closed shop and inward looking. It was nice to hear Hope Powell in the form of a seagull in that last answer as well. So you're on the coast, I imagine. I, I am indeed. I'm on the East Yorkshire coast. Yeah, yeah my, my study's at the top of the house. It's an old Victorian like three-storey house on the promenade. And it's um, because it's got a slight bit of flat roof. It's where all the seagulls hang out right above my head. So I do apologise for that. It's like, um, it's like Franz Liebkin from The Producers with his pigeons, with his, <laughs> with his racing <laughs> yes. pigeons. Um, well, my mum was born... <laughs> Mum was born in Cottingham and grew up near Hull for, or in Hull for 10 years and then moved out. So I am half Yorkshire and I have a huge ah, affinity. Yeah. Uh, I went, well, we did a Duke of Edinburgh expedition in Whitby once, which was very nice. We got a very nice day. But I've never been a tourist because as uh, I spoke to someone recently, they said, if you're going to Hull, there's nowhere to go to from it. Hull is the destination with your white That's right, yeah. telephone system it's and all of that. It's the end of the line. Yeah. Uh, it's an end of the line city. Um, you wouldn't, yeah, you're right. You wouldn't go anywhere else. Uh, and I think it, it's a quite a curious place. I'm about twenty miles north of of, uh, of Hull, and I so I go there a fair bit. It's quite inward looking, but quite a creative place. You know, obviously it was a city of culture um, a couple of years ago, um, and there is quite a sort of interesting about Hull that I quite like. One of the things that I'm looking at doing this year is ooh. I might as well do the exclusive announcement. Uh, the music library. And so I'm doing oh, this right. kind of thing, but with authors of... And only 78. 78 music writers. But the 33 part of the project, there's a 45 project, a 33 and a 78. The 33 and a third is about the House Martins, who, of course, formed in Hull. Paul Heaton was not from Hull. Yes. He lived there because the housing was just like threepence halfpenny. Really quite affordable. Yes, so right. your three-floor garret, you've made a living as this writer and you've decided to live in East Yorkshire, which is the county of stories. Should I broach the subject of Yorkshire County Cricket Club or should we do anything else? Oh, yes, please do, Brett, because I'm a big cricket fan as well, oh, well as, I... as well as football. Um, it, it, it's been a sorry tale. And yet so... 
I think if if it can't wake up now to the fact that it needs to bring in come into the 21st century, nothing will. And thank God we've got it's Lord Patel in charge, and then there's a, a black Caribbean coach now. Otis Gibson. Otis yeah, Gibson. he's good. He's good. Great. Yeah. And yeah, Yorkshire is well. It was only a couple of years when you were born. You could have played for Yorkshire, and no one from like Manchester yes, or London could have done. That's amazing. Would if that's that happened right. with Bradford? Oh gosh, we'd be even more doomed than we currently are. <laughs> well, first question before we obviously, we, I hope you die of cancer. Is the book? So whenever I say that title, yeah. it's not to do with you, Marvin Close, or Player X, uh, whom we must refer. Uh, there's no point guessing because you'll never tell. Um, but why, no, absolutely. why why, Bradford City and not Bradford Park Avenue? Well, I suppose like most people, um, my dad, my granddad and my great-granddad all supported Bradford City. Uh, in fact, my my great-granddad uh, worked at um, Fatterini's Goldsmiths, who made the current FA Cup. And, of course, the first winners of that FA Cup were Bradford City. Um, so it's very much in the family, uh, goes back uh, ages. And I think, uh, although we've not been hugely successful over the years, I think we've been a bit more successful than Bradford Park Avenue. Just about, well, Bradford PA haven't reached a League Cup final. That was a crazy season. Berserk. Yeah. Were you at the final? Yes. The final in 1911? No, the more recent one. The League Cup final. Oh, the League Cup final, of course, yeah. Oh, yeah, I was. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it was a real, you know, fantastic celebration. You know, fourth tier club getting to the League Cup final. I think I think there was only one before then in about 1960. Was it Rochdale, I think, got to the final? And, and unfortunately, the, the players just froze on the day and we, we just got hammered, absolutely hammered. But it was a great day out. I may have been there. Part of me thinks I remember that. I obviously put it out of my mind because it was 5-0 and it was just ghastly. That's right, yeah, um, it was. Yeah, this was the Swansea side of Ben Davis, Ashley Williams, Nathan Dyer, Michu. I'm looking this up. Um, but the Bradford that's, that's side right. The Bradford side included one, at least one, FA Youth Cup winner at right back. Yes, um, his wife plays for England. Yep, his wife's the English captain. Yep. Uh, yeah. Steph, yeah. Steph is married to Stephen Darby, who has Stephen Darby, you know, yes, who has had a, a really quite rotten few years. Uh, up front, he's from Bermuda. Yeah. He'll go right through you, Naki Wells. Of course, yes, yeah. But absolutely. I do remember. I, I do remember the game. I was there because I've just seen Matt Duke, the goalkeeper, got sent off, and I do remember that. I mean, the score at that time was three uh, 0 It became four, so the game was over there. Yeah. But at that point, yeah, yeah. I guess you would have have had sympathy with the Watford fans, one of whom I wasn't during the FA Cup final a few years ago, when Man City brought on Kevin De Bruyne and won six nil. Um, oh gosh, yes, yeah. yeah, I wasn't there, but I remember watching it. Yeah, that was sad. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? In a way, Watford's uh, are, 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 well, a bit like Bradford City in the sense that when they're good, they're good. <laughs> when they're bad, <laughs> they're really bad. Well, Watford, as you know, I I, actually, I don't know how old you are. Were you alive in 1977? I was. Yeah, so you remember when Watford were dead last in the fourth division. Yeah, absolutely. And the rise from there. Yeah, Elton John bought the club, said we're going to get European football in 10 years. It ended up being seven. And yeah, Roy Hodgson, I don't know where Roy Hodgson was. In 1977, I guess he was in Sweden, somewhere far away. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. And Malmo, was it, I think? Possibly. Yeah. 
Uh, but were you interested in football in that era? We obviously went to Valley Parade. The glory days at Bradford, notwithstanding what we're going to talk about in about two minutes' time that you can probably guess. Um, yeah. But did you enjoy going with family? Oh, yeah, very much so. You know, sort of like uh, I had like elderly great uncles who used to um, who used to ferry me to the game. It, it was a real kind of bonding thing, uh, a real generational, intergenerational thing that I, I, I remember loving because I didn't, you know, like most kids, apart from your mum and dad, you don't actually know many older people, you know. And so my great uncle Albert and my great uncle Billy, they used to take me to the game. And when I couldn't go, they would say, send me um, programmes through the post and things. Um, so, yeah, I was very connected. And certainly, yeah, uh, late 70s, yeah, I, would, I, I went, I would say sort of probably about a dozen times a season from East Yorkshire uh, over to, to Bradford. Yeah, um, my friend Adil grew up in Bradford. He calls it Bradistan because of the Pakistani population. What I love about Bradford City uh, over the last sort of 10 years or so is the fact that they've put a huge amount of work into trying to embrace all the different cultures in the city and get them in the club. Not not just as fans, uh, but, you know, like getting um, like mini leagues going with schools and things like that, um, just to make people um, feel comfortable about coming to football and feeling that, you know, they're not going to get slagged because they're not, you know... I don't know, bald white men. (laughs) Yes. Um, I will introduce the Bradford Fire just by saying, if you're a writer in residence at a school, as I think you were, rather than getting getting kids to talk about Roy of the Rovers stuff, would you have introduced them to the disaster, the fire? Gosh, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. Um, I, I haven't. I, have, I haven't spoken with kids uh, about that. I think like a lot of Bradford City fans, I mean, I wasn't there on the day, uh, but it affected me massively because, you know, it's a bit like your home burning down, you know, um, and people being killed in that home. It was it was a it was a dreadful time. But I think the way the way that the city and the Bradford City fans rallied um, in the years following that. Um, have made Bradford City. I mean, I know we all think that our club is a special club, but I think there's a bond um, that a lot of fans have got with Bradford City that's that's really deep uh, because of that, that whole tragedy and and what happened on that day, and then what happened subsequently. You know, because we, you know, I think we often forget. Um, I, you know, I, I used to be a journalist uh, before I became a writer and um, I would cover a lot of stories and then leave that story, go on and do another story and you, you never really touch the aftermath very much, you know what I mean? It's, it's, you, the, the aftermath for a lot of people who were at that fire have lasted for 30 odd years, you know, it still lives with them. It's a bit like um, Sheffield Wednesday, you know, um, you know, the Liverpool tragedy um, that, that, that never goes away. Or indeed Aberfan in the 60s and the Ibrox fire and the King's Cross fire, and we're seeing the party that they had New Cross, the fire in New Cross. Yeah, which is, yeah. yeah, yeah. Which got uh, some TV treatment last year, and I'll, I'll pivot to that. We will talk about uh, I Hope You Die of Cancer, Life in Non-League, which you've written with Player X, uh, over 100 yes. hours of chat. I just want to say now, that must have been a hell to transcribe all those hours. Did you have some help? Uh, no, I've got my trusty shorthand. Oh, wow. 
That's brilliant. You yeah. see, Pittman, nowadays the kids don't need Pittman. You just waggle a dictaphone. But my mum was a, a secretary, so she learned shorthand. And uh, yeah, a lot of, yeah, I imagine like, a lot of the old school journalists of the 70s and 80s would have done it. Uh, did you have a personal shorthand? Um, no, no, no. It's, it's actually uh, it's a shorthand that a lot of journalists use called T-Line, uh, which is mm-hmm. it's a slightly it's sort of a simplified version of Pittman. I mean, I got up to, at my peak, I was about 150 words a minute. Um, and I, I still do about 100, 110 words a minute. Um, and it's great for interviews because you haven't got all that massive time going through tapes and rewinding and all that kind of thing. As you're going along, you can just highlight w- which are the important bits that you know you want to come back to afterwards. Yeah. So um, although it sounds onerous, um, it, it, it wasn't at all because I would just transcribe them um, after every Zoom call or, or FaceTime that, that, that myself and the footballer had. Because that, that was the other interesting thing. I mean, um, all of this was uh, the interviews and then the writing of it was all done, obviously, during lockdown and, you know, the beginning of the pandemic and everything. So myself and the footballer have literally only ever met in person once. Uh, all the rest of the time has just been FaceTime and, and, and Zooming. Right. So we got to know each other really well. I spoke to a couple of the guys who were involved in a website called These Football Times. One of them is in Spain. One of them is in, I think, Grimsby. Another is in Liverpool. They've never met. Yeah. They only speak online. And that's it. you can have a human relationship with that. But I always say if you're doing it through Zoom, you can't. And why would you want to? But you can't smell, touch or taste someone. You can sometimes yeah. see them. So you're only left with hearing. You might as well be just doing semaphore with flower. And uh, what's it called? Uh, vexillation. Vexillary? Oh, Flag waving. Yeah, well, I've not heard of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, so I'm trying to use my Latin and it, it fell down. Because <laughs> I, um, I would have loved to have been a, a journalist. You worked for the Sheffield Star. Was this the days of uh, pipes in the offices and typewriters banging or had you moved on to Apple Macs at that time? Oh no, we'd, we'd move, yeah, we moved on to uh, Apple Mac, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, yeah, yeah, all post kind of what they used to call hot metal, yes. where um, you know, literally printing presses. You were in journalism for how long, and was it more court reporting and cats up trees, or did you get some quite juicy stuff? <laughs> I, I kind of trained at the Sheffield Star. I was doing um, a PhD at uh, Leeds University. Uh, in educational history and I was I just finished my second year of research and I got but that's this was back in the day when um, you did two years and then you were either offered a third year extension to finish your PhD with a grant or they basically said nah forget it and I was offered the third year extension and I remember my um, professor saying to me, oh, there's, um, there's a, a thesis that you should really read. Uh, it's down in the, the bowels of Leeds University Library. You know, go get it out. So I went to get this thesis, and it had been written in 1950. And I was the first person to get it out 
like, you know, like 30, 40 years later, and I thought, this will be my thesis. What is the point of what I'm doing? And I started talking to a couple of friends of mine, and I sort of said, I'm, I'm not going to do the third year. I'm not going to, it's just ridiculous, is this? And I don't want to go into academia, or, you know, I don't know why I'm doing this. I just want to write. And um, this friend of mine said, oh, my sister works for the Sheffield Star. I think they're looking for journalists at the moment. And so I, I rung them and they said, oh, yeah, but you have to get your application in by tomorrow. So I stayed up all night, got this application in. Uh, they they took me in for interview uh, on, I think, three days later and told me at, at the interview, yeah, we'll take you on. So over the period of three days, I went from being a PhD student to a trainee journalist at the Sheffield Star in South Yorkshire. And I stayed with them for four years and then I freelanced. I was actually a journalist full-time probably for about six years, something like that. And then I had a couple of years where I was kind of part-time getting my first writing commissions in radio and theatre and part-time uh, working as a, a freelance journalist, which was really precarious yes. for a couple of years. Uh, but yeah, I mean, ultimately what happened was um, I got offered um, a writing residency at the Library Theatre in Manchester, and along with that, um, a couple of play commissions with it as well, which meant that I could kind of go quite happily full time then. Um, and so I waved goodbye to journalism. I've not not really done any for years and years, to be honest. It's just been writing. Yes, and the, the writing that you've done is enviable. It's not un, it's not unenviable because of what you've done, and I'm going to have to praise it. So the the average PhD thesis is read by tens of people. Just uh, how many millions of people would watch Coronation Street when you were writing for them? Oh blimey! Um, I think that was around the time when we were kind of pulling seventeen, eighteen million uh, a, a program. That is nuts. Um, that is not four channels. Yeah. So this would have been the <laughs> no. early nineties, late eighties. So, yeah, it was crazy. Absolutely. I mean, with uh, Emmerdale, which I, I I wrote about, oh gosh, about seventy five episodes for Emmerdale, and um, that we were getting like fourteen million, fifteen million, um, and obviously living in Yorkshire, yes. when people know that you work for Emmerdale, I mean, I couldn't walk down my local high street without 10 people stopping me to talk about last night's episode or whatever Brilliant. you may Well, that's the reason I wanted to be a songwriter, because if you're someone like Max Martin, you can walk down Oxford Circus to Bond Street, buy a very expensive handbag for a loved one, get out with the handbag, get on the tube... And no one would know you. Whereas I've seen, yeah. I've seen comedians walk out with a headset so they're not disturbed. And I wouldn't yeah. want that life. But yeah, it's true. I should say so. Yeah. I should say so. Yes. Uh, it's yes. a wonderful place to live. Uh, and I would love to go there. I might, I might have to go there because if I'm writing this book about the beautiful side, I didn't really finish the point. Uh, the 33 and the third book is about Carry On Up The Charts, which is my favourite album. And it's, you know, those little Bloomsbury books, the 33 and a third about albums. They've done about 150 oh, yeah, yeah. of them. I've done a lot of research on Paul Heaton and that book I'm going to hopefully work on in the next few months. But I will want some writerly advice from you, Marvin, because you've written some books. Uh, Crazy People, about the goons. Ton of Jollity, about Oliver Hardy. 
And you've also lectured at Leeds yep. Met's Screenwriting MA. I, I visited Leeds Met. I had a friend at Leeds. And I remember going up a few years after that to Ellen Road. And I got up early. So I walked through, I think I walked through Leeds Met's accommodation because it's right by the station. Oh, right. And yes, it is. Yeah. I would really have loved to live to have lived as a student in Leeds. I didn't even apply for it. I went to Edinburgh. But how long did you work in Leeds for? Uh, oh gosh, I was only in Leeds actually for a couple of years when I was doing the first two years of my PhD. Um, but I do love it. I mean, I do, I do go to Leeds quite a lot. And obviously, um, Emmerdale Studios were uh, were based there at Yorkshire TV in Leeds. So I, I know Leeds really well. Um, I know Edinburgh really well too. So my, my son was at university there and um, he still lives there. When? Uh, his, when his was partner. he there? He, he finished... Two two years ago, oh. and 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 he also he also is a writer. Uh, he's he's got um he's a science fiction writer, and his first novel Tin Foils. Here's a here's a good plug for my son. By the way, his first novel Tin Foils uh, came out last year, and it's one of a it's a series of three novels that have been commissioned uh, by Vulpine Press, who are based up in Edinburgh. Yeah. And um, the next one is out later this year. And yeah. um, what science fictiony pseudonym has he used? Oh, he, he writes under his own name, Jacob Close. Jacob Close, a, a, a graduate of a fine university. Uh, Marcus Mumford yeah. left my course after a term to become the... And I remember, oh, right. I remember graduating in the McEwen Hall and, like, no lie, Mumford & Sons were number one in Australia with their album that week. <laughs> and I was there getting a certificate Brilliant. and my two one. But, no, I loved, oh, I loved wow. being in Edinburgh. Uh, I didn't enjoy the football, so I didn't really go to Tyne Castle or Easter Road. And following the Premier League, I've told this story before, it was like watching it in a foreign country. I remember watching Man U and Liverpool playing and it was like two bags of money kicking a football around. And I stopped yeah. watching football. Whereas when I came back down to Watford, and before we went on air, we were talking, your first question was, what about Roy Hodgson, eh? Look, we just need... <clears throat> I, went, I first went to watch Watford, really, in 2012, and the Pozzos took over. They're now on their 15th or 16th manager. They treat Watford managers like left-backs. But yeah. were it not for the Pozzos, Watford would be, greatest of respect, playing Bradford City in the middle of League Two. Yeah, it's true. The common... Um, feel that you get from a lot of football fans is that, oh, you shouldn't change your managers so much, blah, blah, blah. Well, Watford are still in the Premier, <laughs> having mm. changed all their managers, you know. Yeah, since 2013, we've done no worse than, uh, I think, 10th in the division. And we've had some pretty good managers, former Ma- Madrid managers, former Spanish internationals, the great Slav, who got us promoted in the first place. But it doesn't look yeah. good. When two seasons in a row, the managers uh, who get you to a cup final or promoted are, are out by October. I just hope Roy Hodgson has uh, negotiated a very good payoff. But he is a football man in the way that you're a writer's man. Although you're aware Roy Hodgson is a very literary man. He loves Seb- yes, he's a friend he of Sebastian yeah. Folks. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the screenwriter... Oh, and I forgot to mention, Yorkshire Television, home of Countdown... Absolutely, yeah. I used to I used to go in the um, the Yorkshire TV bar after we'd had um, like story conference meetings, and that uh, Richard Whiteley would always be there by the bar. Bless him. Oh. I mean, it seemed like wh- whatever time of the day or night it was, he was at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> A former journalist. 
like yourself. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. I Last year, I had a book where I was doing one round of Countdown a Day, and Richard Whiteley's face was on it, and I've got this other book, uh, Countdown, The Ultimate Challenge, and there's Richard Whiteley's face with one of the ties underneath it. And <laughs> look, a lot of people have heroes who were... Uh, Cartoon characters or footballers. No footballer was my hero. Richard Whiteley was my hero. And uh, so just talking to you, knowing I'm now one degree of sep away. I've got Carol Vorderman's autograph as well, but that's another story. (laughs) (laughs) This has turned into like a writer's conference. But um, thank you. In the second, I hope the listener does too. In the second half, we'll talk about this book. I hope you die of cancer. But I want to uh, briefly tell you that I'm writing a, a fiction book. Moz Winter is a fan of, let's call it Bradford City. Bradford have a terrible result on Boxing Day. And Moz, named after Morrissey, so that's the kind of age he is, puts up a video online and more or less says, here's what's going wrong with the team. Mr. Chairman, I wait your call. The chairman phones up the next morning and goes, all right then, we've sat the manager, you're in charge. So I'm trying to write what is a novel but might well be a screen uh, writing and given that you've written storylines for Coronation Street and episodes of Emmerdale, what is essential that I do or not do in this story of Moz Winter, the football manager? Gosh, well, I think the first thing to bear in mind is that if you're going to do it as as like a screenplay for TV or, or film, the first thing that any company would come back to you at with is Ted Lasso. And so it's already been done, the football club and the manager and everything. Um, I, I think it's better as a book, to be honest, because you might find that the, you know, if the book were successful yeah. and notable, then you would find that people might then get interested in it for TV or for radio, even you know, as dramatisation. So I would write the book first. Which is what I'm more used to doing, writing fiction than writing uh, screenplays. Save the cat at the end. How do I flesh out some of the characters so they're not just one-dimensional, they're not just ciphers? Because I worry about that when I'm writing fiction. The best advice is do n- don't concentrate on your main character so much. Uh, you, you know, you've got to get that main character in the orbits of other characters. And therefore, I think that the, the first thing you've got to do, obviously, when you come up with an idea like this, the, the initial thing is like your main character, Moz, and you kind of like get to know that character really well. Well, you've got to actually get to know the other characters, the supporting cast, if you like, as well, if not better because they're the people who've got to be really fleshed out. Um, I I often think that with the main character, and particularly the the kind of character that you're talking about in in this Moz guy, there will be a lot of you in it, in that character. Uh, There will be a lot of Johnny in, in, in that character. So therefore, the hard work is working on your other characters, making sure, like you say, they're not just ciphers. They're not just there as kind of you know, things for your main character to react or act with. You know, they've got to have their own lives. I mean, one of the things that I do when I'm writing fiction uh, is uh, I I do kind of like little pen pictures, little biogs of uh, each of my characters. And what I try and achieve in in those kind of biogs is to um, put enough detail in there to actually... um, 
if I wanted to turn the novel around and use that person as the main character, I have enough understanding of what they're about to be able to do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you should know all of your characters inside out. Um, it frustrates me sometimes when I read new writing um, and the main character is wonderfully fleshed out, but all of the rest of them are all kind of so secondary. It's untrue. You know, it's important to have a point, you know, to, to decide from whose point of view the book is going to be from. Obviously, in your case, it's going to be from Moz's point of view. But we've also got to get to know all of the other characters really, really well yeah. for it to work. I will bear that in mind. I mean, the genius of Hamilton, aside from everything else, is that if you called it, Angelica or Burr or Eliza, exactly, yeah. it would still work. Yeah. And that, I, I realise now that that's so important. And he's done that with Encanto, um, this new yes. this new Disney. Yeah. I don't know, you've got kids, you will have seen Encanto by now. Yeah, yeah, it's great, really good. I, I think, I think uh, Miranda, she's a genius. Yeah, I, it takes I, a lot I of really work. Did. And uh, he started young. He started at like four or five, but... He is, yes, he is right. such a, I don't know why anyone else would bother. He's kind of like the Phil Redmond of uh, musical yeah. theatre. Yeah, but also that he's, he, he's, he's so skilled in every area. You know what I mean? He's clear. I, I mean, like you, I, I know that he, he started young and he started with a real kind of total focus on this is what I want to do. Uh, but he knew once he got that focus that he had to learn every area so he's great on the direction from the writing from the music from the acting from you know he's, he's a total one-off yeah he's a polymath he and he's yeah he's an american treasure and marvin close i'm just looking at the fact that you've done a documentary about university challenge makes you proximal to bambi bamba gascoigne the national <laughs> treasure I mean, that was really good fun. I can imagine. I watched the TV version of it, but I, yeah. didn't, I didn't know there was a radio version of it. Um, I mean, there's the, the trouble is we could go on for hours, but we need to take some oranges at half time so we can reset and prepare to talk about non-league football. 